Hey, good morning. Welcome. I am Pastor Tim. Good to be with you this morning. I am grateful that my mic is working this week. If you were with us last week, there was a little trouble due in large part to the fact that I forgot the mic has a mute button. So I have unmuted myself this morning. So praise God for that. Um, who's excited for Christmas? Yes. Who's stressed out for Christmas? Yeah. It's a lot to do, isn't it? Like we build up this annual celebration, but then we put all of these things, things in it that create stress, decorating the house and the lights and the trees and the wreath and purchasing gifts for your kids and your siblings and your spouse and relatives that you don't see very often that you don't really like that much, but you got to get them a gift anyway. And now church has extra events and programs and outreaches. And a lot of you do all sorts of baking, cookies to eat and give away. And then you have relatives coming into town, or maybe some of you are going out of town. It's a lot, right? And so we have to focus this morning on, on what we should be excited about. Three of my favorite things preparing for Christmas. Uh, one is listening to cheesy Christmas music. Now, I know some of you say, wait a minute, Pastor Tim, I thought you didn't like, you know, Christmas. I, I just don't like starting it before Thanksgiving. Okay, let's wait. But now, I enjoy the Christmas, cheesy Christmas songs, right? Uh, by the way, on Twitter this week, I found out that some people don't like Mariah Carey's All I Want for Christmas is You. I don't understand that. I don't understand. It is the greatest secular Christmas song for a reason. It's a wonderful song. And so, I don't, I don't understand those who disagree. But um, that's one of my favorite things as I prepare for Christmas. The other thing is, Getting stuff in the mail that I ordered from Amazon. Now, the process of actually getting on Amazon and shopping and picking stuff is a nightmare. I can't stand it, right? Because there's too many choices. You literally waste hours, like, you know, reading reviews and all that stuff. But when boxes come, it's super exciting for me when boxes come in the mail. And I take them up in my bedroom and I get to open them. Because I'm surprised every time. Like, I don't remember what I ordered. And so it's literally like Christmas for me getting to see, oh, what? Oh, that's right. I ordered that. You know, it's very exciting. But of course, the third thing that I love about preparing for Christmas is celebrating the birth of Jesus, getting to teach you guys, getting to share with neighbors about the birth of our Savior Christ. And I do hope that this month, despite all that that might be on your plate, despite the stresses, despite some of you that may be grieving those that you've lost and those that are not with you this Christmas, I do hope that, that Sunday mornings can be a time when you can breathe, when you can rest, when you can celebrate the Savior. Because unto us a child is born. Unto us a son is given. Emmanuel, God with us. We're going to be looking this month at Isaiah 9-6, this beautiful prophecy that we've heard so often For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulders, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. And we're going to look and unpack this beautiful promise and prophecy that comes from Isaiah chapter 9. But before we get to Isaiah chapter 9 this morning, we're actually going to be in Isaiah chapter 7. We're going to be looking at page 571, if you're using one of those Bibles from the back table. As we unpack this prophecy, we're going to get a running start and look at at kind of the initial reference in chapter 7 where this promised son is introduced. And he's not introduced as wonderful counselor, mighty God, everlasting father, prince of peace. He's initially in chapter 7 introduced as Emmanuel. That's what we're going to hear this morning. And that name, of course, means in Hebrew, God with us. And that's really the longing of every heart, isn't it? To be with God, to know God, to 
to have God with us. God with us. And so as you're finding Isaiah chapter 7, let me give you a little, a little backdrop. Okay, not your traditional Christmas story, but bear with me. So the 12 tribes of Israel, God's chosen nation, are now split up into two different tribes. Israel in the north and Judah in the south. And you're going to hear this morning Israel referenced as Ephraim. One of the largest tribes in the northern kingdom was Ephraim. And so sometimes Israel is just called by that name. Now the kingdom of Judah in the south is is still centered around the kings of, of David. Centered around the temple in Jerusalem. Now the year that this prophecy and these events take place is is about 735 BC and a guy from the house of David by the name of Ahaz is king. But here's the problem. Ahaz is not a godly king. He's not a good guy. He's sacrificing to false idols. He's not following the one true God, Yahweh. Now during this period of history, the nation of Assyria has rising up and they are like the bad guys of the, of the whole region. They're an expanding power. They're going around conquering more and more land. And, and two of Judah's neighbors, we're going to hear this morning about a nation of Syria and the nation of Israel. They form a coalition and Syria and Israel say, look, let's join forces and try to fight back so that we're not conquered by Assyria. And they want Judah, God's kingdom in the south. They want Judah to join their coalition. But King Ahaz refuses And so these two nations mount an attack, and we're going to read in the opening verses of chapter 7, they come up to Jerusalem to try to threaten and intimidate Ahaz and the people. And this is when God sends Isaiah, the prophet, to speak his word. Now I know all that ancient history and foreign names and and nations may feel a little confusing and disconnected from your life. But before I read, let me just reassure you of this. Isaiah, Ahaz, the people that were living in Jerusalem at that time, these nations, those are real people. Right? Like God is connected to history. So don't be intimidated or put off by this history. God comes down and he interacts with his people in their mess, in their circumstances. So Isaiah chapter 7, let's read and see if we can unpack this morning, even as we anticipate the birth of the son, Emmanuel. So Isaiah 7 verse 1 says this, In the days of Ahaz, the son of Jotham, son of Uzziah, king of Judah, Rezin, the king of Syria, and Pekah, the son of Ramalia, the king of Israel, came up to Jerusalem to wage war against it, but could not yet mount an attack against it. When the house of David was told, Syria is in league with Ephraim, the heart of Ahaz and the heart of his people shook as the trees of the forest shake before the wind. You get the picture? These two nations come up and surround the city. And the people are terrified. Isaiah is terrified. They can't even yet launch a full attack. We've read there in the opening verses. But they're still shaking with fear. Shaking like the trees in the wind. The people are are, are unstable and they're worried. They have no faith. No faith that God's going to protect them. And so God sends Isaiah to speak to Ahaz. To comfort and encourage the people. Look at verse 3. And the Lord said to Isaiah, Go out to meet Ahaz, you and Sherjashub, your son, at the end of the conduit of the upper pool on the highway of the washer's field, and say to him, be careful, be quiet, do not fear, and do not let your heart be faint because of these two smoldering stumps of firebrands at the fierce anger of Rezin in Syria and the son of Ramalia, because Syria with Ephraim and the son of Ramalia has devised evil against you, saying, Let us go up against Judah and terrify it, and let us conquer it for ourselves, and set up the son of Tabiel as king in the midst of it. Thus says the Lord God, It shall not stand, and it shall not come to pass. 
For the head of Syria is Damascus, and the head of Damascus is Rezin. And within 65 years, Ephraim will be shattered from being a people. And the head of Ephraim is Samaria, and the head of Samaria is the son of Ramalia. If you are not firm in faith, you will not be firm at all. You see what's happening? God sends His prophet. Sends His prophet. In verse 4, we read His words, Be careful, Ahaz, stay calm. Don't be afraid. Don't let your heart be faint. Don't be shaking like a tree. These enemies, yes, they may seem intimidating. They may cause the people to shake with fear. But God knows they're no real threat. Right? He calls the two nations of Syria and Ephraim, He calls them smoldering embers. These are fires that are about to go out. They're nothing. They're merely human kings. They're not led by the Lord God. Like Judah like King Ahaz was supposed to be. And so Isaiah assures Ahaz in verse 7, their plans against you won't stand. They're not going to come to pass. You're not going to be overtaken. See, Isaiah is seeking to stir the faith of Ahaz and through Ahaz, the king, the entire nation. And so he encourages him in verse 9, if you are not firm in faith, Ahaz, you're not going to be firm at all. So have faith. Put your hope in the Lord. And King Ahaz needs to hear this because we know by his reputation in Scripture that he's faithless. He's not a man that trusts the one true God. And so because of his lack of faith, he's unstable. See, a lack of faith leads to instability. You become overwhelmed. You become afraid by things that, that may not need to be a real threat. See, because his faith in God was not firm, Isaiah says nothing is firm. Your personal life, your position as king, not your plan to overcome Israel and Syria. Your faith is not firm, and so nothing is firm. We have that there in verse 9, that scripture we can put up. There we go. If you are not firm in faith, friends, you will not be firm at all. See, in verse 9, the you there is plural. Isaiah is speaking to Isaiah, but he's actually addressing the entire nation, the entire people of God. And I believe God would address us as well. To stand in faith, to stand firm is faith. What is, what is faith? Faith is believing and trusting in someone. For us, it's believing and trusting in God. Trusting in His goodness. Trusting that His power is enough. That He's sovereign over all things. Trusting that His love is unconditional. Trusting that He has a plan, that He's merciful even in hard times. Trusting that forgiveness covers all of your sins. Trusting and believing that God is just. That evil will be put down. Believing and trusting in God and all of His goodness. You know, the Scripture says that faith is the assurance of what we hope for. Faith is the conviction of the things that you can't see. You say, wouldn't it be better, wouldn't it be easier if God would just manifest everything that I want and need right now and then I could see it, it'd be tangible, I could touch it? Well, I don't know if it's better, but what I do know is that God says put faith even in what you cannot see. Put faith and let it be the manifestation of what you hope for. The Word says that our faith is the victory that overcomes the world. The victory that overcomes sin and death and the devil is your faith in the one true living God. Ahaz was surrounded by these enemies seeking to attack him and he needed his faith stirred. What is it that's surrounding you? In this season of life, threatening to steal your peace, threatening to stress you out, to overwhelm you. Hopefully it's not Christmas, but maybe there are things with Christmas that bring the pain of past. Difficulty from childhood that bring out the worst in your family. Maybe there are other things going on that just bring you discouragement or that stir fear in you. Family's health, national news. 
What is it that stirs fear in you? What, what, is, what is the worst thing that happened to you this week that would threaten to undermine your faith in Christ? I was driving back Tuesday night on the, on the trail up by Loganville uh, with, with Sybil, and a car came from the other direction, and in a moment I saw these two blurry objects come towards my car, and one of them smashed into the windshield, and the other one, I, I found out later, smashed into the headlight. And you sort of jump, it's a loud thud, and as I'm continuing to drive down the road, I thought hits me, I think I've just been egged. And sure enough, I got egged this week, and I had to go to the, the car wash and, 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 you know, spend a few dollars and, and time and energy to wash this egg all over my car. By the way, if it was anybody here, come talk to me after church. Can we just, can we just make up and like, I'll forgive you, whatever I did, I'm sorry. I don't know. I'm assuming it was random, but who knows? But I had a thought at a certain point as I'm dealing with the shock and the frustration. And, and I heard a certain thought. I thought to myself, you know what? If this is the worst thing that happens to me this week, I, I'm doing okay. Like if this is as bad as it gets for me this week, I'm in pretty good shape. Right? Now I have other things in my life going on. I have other things that, that are causing stress and turmoil. What is it for you? Maybe you're facing unresolved health problems. Maybe you're facing emotional strain and, and, and stress and discouragement. Maybe you have bills that you can't pay and there's financial debt looming over you. Maybe your career is full of stress and you're being asked to do things that you, you can't do. Maybe there's tension in your marriage or in your family. Maybe some of your children are struggling and there's challenges in parenting. Friends, listen, we must stand firm in the belief that God will prevail because if you are not firm in faith, you will not be firm at all. There will be no area of your life stable and at peace if your trust and your hope in the Lord is not firm and certain. See, if you don't have faith that God will guide you, that He has a desire to guide you as a parent in your children, then there's going to be instability in your home. If you don't have a firm faith that God will give you unconditional love for your spouse, even on those moments when marriage seems too hard, if you don't have that firm faith, then you will waver in your commitment to your husband or wife. If you don't have firm faith that God forgives you, then there's going to be insecurity in your own conscience and you're going to be continually second-guessing and doubting your identity and your ability to walk with the Lord. If you don't have firm faith that God has a plan for today and tomorrow and for 10 years from now that God has a plan for your future, young people, if you don't have that firm faith, you're going to be second-guessing every decision that you make because you think that you're leading your own life. If you don't have firm faith that God is sovereign, even sovereign over your health and the health of your loved ones, then you're going to be full of volatility. There's going to be lack of peace in your heart, continually afraid of the next sickness, the next illness. Will the cancer come back? And so the call this morning is to firmly root our faith in the Lord. Firm faith. Friends, if you're here this morning, if you've celebrated the Lord's Supper, if you held the, the, the bread and the cup, if you reminded yourself that Jesus came, He was born, He died, He rose for me, put your faith in the, in the One who came for you. See, forgiveness and victory and new life, they were won for you on the cross through the death of Christ, through the resurrection of Christ. And now you can be unwavering in your relationship with God. As we heard, not because we're good enough, but because we cry out to God, have mercy on me, a sinner. 
And Jesus says, that's just why I was born. And so we can have firm faith that that our Heavenly Father will protect us. Because this fallen world is full of traps and dangers. And we may not have have enemy nations surrounding our city. But there's all sorts of, of things in the world, in the flesh, in the devil. But we can find hope and we can find peace in this life when we trust in our Heavenly Father's protection. And we can have firm faith in the Holy Spirit, in the Holy Spirit's presence and power in our life. You can be unshakable in the midst of whatever attack the enemy throws at you, whatever fear or worry or discouragement or frustration or circumstances or relational tension, whatever that is, the Holy Spirit's presence can bring power and peace to your heart. Have firm faith in the Lord. Remember what we heard last week in 1 Thessalonians 5.24, He who called you is faithful, He will surely do it. The promises of Scripture, the commands of Scripture, the call of Scripture. We trust in God and His faithfulness because He who calls you, He who set you on this journey is faithful and He will surely do it. So hear that promise this morning. Hear that call this morning. Because if your faith is not firm, you will not be firm at all. Now look, God knows Ahaz. He knows that Ahaz is going to need more than just Isaiah to remind him to put faith In the one true God. And so Isaiah speaks again to the king in verse 10. Look at verse 10. Now this time God's going to give him a promise. And he's going to give him a sign to help seal what God is going to do. And the sign that he's going to give him is Emmanuel. Look at verse 10 with me. Again, the Lord spoke to Ahaz. Ask a sign of the Lord your God. Let it be as deep as Sheol or as high as heaven. But Ahaz said, I will not ask and I will not put the Lord to the test. And he said, Hear then, O house of David, is it too little for you to weary men that you weary my God also? Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. He shall eat curds and honey when he knows how to refuse the evil and choose the good. For before the boy knows how to refuse the evil and choose the good, the land whose two kings you dread will be deserted. And the Lord will bring upon you and upon your people and upon your father's house such days as have not come since the day that Ephraim departed from Judah, the king of Assyria. So God knows Ahaz's heart just as he knows our heart. He knows that Ahaz's faith is is shaky. And so he tells him in verse 10 and, and 11, pick a sign, pick anything you want. As deep as hell, as high as heaven, you pick a sign and I will do it for you. I will reassure you that I'm real and that I'm with you and that I'm at work in the midst of your circumstances. But Ahaz, somewhat surprisingly to us, he refuses to pick a sign. Like we would love that opportunity, right? To to just have God prove and verify for us his presence and his work. But Ahaz doesn't have enough faith. He says he doesn't want to tempt God, but it sort of just feels like he doesn't even believe it and he's not even worth asking And Isaiah says in verse 13, you're just wearying God. It's not enough that you're wearying God's people. Now you're trying to weary God and you won't even pick a sign. And so God says, fine, fine, I will pick a sign for you. And here's where we get that famous prophecy in verse 14. The virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. That a virgin, that's a broad word in Hebrew, means a a young unmarried woman, unmarried and and therefore a virgin. She's going to have a child. And that child is, is, is going to be conceived and, and, and born. And the name of this child, the title of this child will be Emmanuel. As I said in Hebrew, that means God with us. That's the sign. 
That's the affirmation. This child will be an affirmation to Ahaz and to the house of of David and to the city of Jerusalem and to the people of Judah a sign that God is with the people. That God will stand by them in the midst of these enemies attacking. That He will guide them. It's meant to be a reminder. Ahaz, don't be overwhelmed. Don't be afraid. Have faith in God because Emmanuel, God, is with you. The prophecy goes on in verse 16 to say, look, by the time this child, whatever this prophesied child is is old enough to discern good and evil on hebrew society that was about age 13 so before before 13 years is up the two nations of syria and ephraim that are threatening to attack you isaiah says they're going to be out of the picture in 13 short years in fact we find out in the passage that that god is going to use assyria the big looming empire of, of the region god's going to use assyria to eliminate the immediate threat On the people of God. In fact, history played out such that the nation of Syria fell a couple of years later. And and Israel was conquered 13 years later. In 722 BC, Israel was conquered by Assyria. No longer a threat to Jerusalem and the people of God. All this historical background, of course, we're used to just pulling this this verse in this prophecy of Isaiah 714 and hearing it in isolation. But there's something going on here with real people in real historical circumstances with real threats. Nahaz and Judah needed to hear this promise in this sign. And we're going to look in a minute in Matthew's gospel and we're going to talk about the ultimate fulfillment in the Messiah. But there's something going on here for the people. Let's not miss that. See, Old Testament prophecy often has what we call double fulfillment or progressive fulfillment. That means there's often an initial fulfillment in, in the temporal circumstances in history at the time the prophecy was given. And that, that often that, that prophecy builds and builds until it reaches its ultimate fulfillment in the coming of Christ. Because we know all the Old Testament looks forward and finds its fulfillment in Christ. So what does the Emmanuel child In Isaiah's prophecy, what does it mean for Judah? It was supposed to mark peace, supposed to mark the peace of God's people. Well, again, based on the timeline that Isaiah gives, it seems that there would have been a preliminary fulfillment, something that would have happened within the next 13 years. A child born that before he was age 13 would mark this Emmanuel, this God with us. Now, I'm sorry to disappoint you, but commentators do not agree on historically who that child would have been in Isaiah's day. Some think it might have been Isaiah's own son, Hezekiah, who, who, unlike his father, was a godly king, a king that turned people to the Lord. Other people think, well, the beginning of chapter 8, prophet Isaiah talks about his own son that was born. And in fact, two times in Isaiah chapter 8, the, the term and the theme of, of Emmanuel come up. And so, so I tend to, 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 tend to think that it's probably referencing Isaiah's son. And we don't know the details, but somehow this son would be born that would have the title that would demonstrate God with us as a reminder way back in the 8th century B.C. A reminder that in the midst of their uncertainty, in the midst of being overwhelmed and afraid, in the midst of these people that doubted and this king that lacked faith, God was building up their faith. And this child was born even, even an initial, just a fraction of, of what the, the meaning of the prophecy was to remind them, put your faith in me. Don't be overwhelmed. Look to me because I am with you, Ahaz. I am with you, Jerusalem. I am with you, covenant people of God. Now some of the details of the history and the initial fulfillment are uncertain. 
But we know now, looking back on this side of the cross, we now know that this whole story, like the story of of the Old Testament, points to a greater reality. That greater reality, Isaiah is going to go on to unpack in chapter 9, and we'll look at that in the rest of the weeks of December, this promised Son that will be the Messiah. And as we heard in our opening Advent reading this morning in in Matthew chapter 1, the ultimate fulfillment of this Emmanuel child is the Savior, is the Christ, right? You can turn to Matthew 1 if you have your Bible with you. 700 years we're going to fast forward to Matthew's Gospel. And he's telling the story of the birth of Jesus. Telling the story of the culmination of every promise, every prophecy, every longing in the heart of Israel for the Messiah to come. And what's Matthew going to do? He's going to link it back to this promise in Isaiah 7. And in Matthew's opening gospel, we find another man of Judah, not a king facing an army, but a peasant named Joseph, facing some circumstances that were probably equally as overwhelming and, and frightful as facing an army, right? What is, he, what is he facing? His betrothed, Mary, has been found pregnant. Now, betrothal is different than modern-day engagement. Betrothal was actually a legal commitment, a bond between a husband and a wife. And they were still living apart. They had not yet consummated the marriage. There would be a final wedding ceremony where they would come together as husband and wife. But, but to be legally betrothed for Joseph and Mary meant, meant that it was a done deal and they were as good as married. And so in verse 18, when Joseph finds out there in Matthew 1, finds out that Mary's pregnant, he is understandably upset and he is understandably confused by all that's going on. And he probably felt hopeless and completely out of control and he's overwhelmed and he's afraid. Luke's gospel sort of gives things from the perspective of, of Mary, but, but Matthew is concerned with Joseph. Man, can you imagine, particularly being in, in the kind of strict Hebrew culture where Mary and Joseph would have would have lived as people of Israel. Imagine the fear. Imagine the, the thoughts going through his mind. Who has Mary been with? Why would she give herself to somebody else? What, what's everybody else in the village going to think? Are people going to judge me? Is God going to judge me? You know, I'm a carpenter. I make business. How is this going to affect my business if people find out I'm marrying a woman that's been unfaithful? What should I do? And so Joseph works out a plan. He, he's not a complete... He's not a complete bad guy. He says, I'm going to divorce Mary quietly. I'm going to send her away, trying to bring her, bring her public shame. But of course, I can't take her as my wife. I've got to maintain my own righteousness. Try to be a little merciful to Mary. But what happens in verse 20? Matthew 1, 20. God speaks to him in a dream. An angel comes and says to him, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid to take Mary as your wife. She has not been unfaithful, the angel says. The baby in her is the miraculous work of the Holy Spirit. This child is from God. This child is from God, the, the Messiah, come to save His people from their sins. And so God tells Joseph, and we can almost hear the echo of his words to Ahaz, don't be afraid. Trust God. Have faith. Take Mary as your wife. See, God stirs up faith and trust in Joseph in the midst of this overwhelming situation that would have been, been socially and culturally and morally and legally and financially detrimental to Joseph. Consequences would have been on and on. But if Joseph is going to get through 
what he's facing, if he's going to maintain stability, he has to have faith in God. Because without faith in God, he's going to be a shaky mess. And again, we hear the echo of of Isaiah 7. It's almost as if God spoke those same words to Joseph. If you are not firm in faith, you will not be firm at all. And so rather than send a prophet, the good God who knew Joseph, who knew what Joseph needed, sent, sent an angelic messenger in a dream. Unlike, unlike Ahaz that we just read about, Joseph is faithful. He's actually obedient. He wakes up from the dream and he says, yes, I'm going to do it. I'm going to obey. And he takes Mary as his wife. And when the child is born, they name the name that both angels had instructed, Jesus, Yeshua, the Lord saves. And then in Matthew 1, and 23, Matthew kind of brings this whole story to its main point. He links all of this back to Isaiah's prophecy. And, and Matthew writes there in his gospel, in his account of Jesus' life, he says, all of this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken, to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. See, this child that Mary carried, that Joseph would father, was the true fulfillment, the complete fulfillment of Isaiah's prophecy. His entire life, the entire life of Jesus would shout, God with you. See, this child was conceived miraculously in a young virgin. He was the awaited Messiah that came to save his people from their sins, to give his life as a sacrifice. And and the name of Jesus, as we've already heard, means the Lord saves. But one of his many divine titles would be Emmanuel, God with us. And just as God was saying to Joseph, don't be overwhelmed, don't be afraid, have faith in me, have peace, I'm going to be with you, Joseph, I'm going to walk with you every step of the way. As you raise this child, I'll be with you, Emmanuel. God now says to each of us, Emmanuel. That's who your God is. See, Jesus Emmanuel is not just some distant sign or symbol of God's presence off in the distance or His existence in reality that's disconnected from your life. Emmanuel, Jesus, was God Himself. God Himself came to earth, born in the flesh. God, the Son of God. What we call the incarnation. That means God taking on flesh, becoming a human, living with us, experiencing the pressures of your life, facing every trial and every temptation that you have faced. Jesus faced as well because God came down to us, manifesting in the flesh, fully God, fully human. And so again, what are you facing that feels out of control? What are you facing that feels like a a foreign army surrounding your home? What are you facing that feels like like a circumstance so out of your control? What's threatening to steal your peace this week, this season? What's making you stressed out and feel overwhelmed? What's bringing you discouragement or stirring you fear? Brothers and sisters, if you're not firm in faith, you will not be firm at all. And we can see that as we talk to neighbors, as we connect with teammates and co-workers, as we read the news, the world is shaking. The world is unstable. But the people of God, followers of Jesus, sons and daughters of the living God, can find a firm foundation, a steady, a steady place to stand in the midst of a broken, crumbling world. 
See, the promised Son was given to us, given to you. Emmanuel came for us, came for you. God with us. Jesus died and He rose again that you could know forgiveness and freedom from the brokenness of your past. From the onslaught of this world. He rose again that you could have new life, eternal life one day, yes, but even now, a new beginning. And so for those that are here this morning and, and you're saying, yeah, I hear it, but my, but my faith wavers. And there's a few moments when I believe, a few moments when I think it's true, a few moments when I, I believe God loves me, but, but my faith, it just, it just wavers. Know that God is with you even in your wavering faith. Some here this morning, you, you, you just struggle with loneliness. Maybe you're single or maybe you're in a house full of people, but you don't feel seen, you don't feel known. Emmanuel. God is with you. Maybe for you, you just have this heart that's full of chaos and discouragement and depression. And one minute you're excited and the next minute you're full of despair. God with you in the midst of your chaotic heart. Maybe your home life is completely erratic and unstable. There's there's tension in your marriage or rebellion in your kids. God with you in the midst of an unstable home. Maybe you're here this morning and and you're just so insecure, insecure in who you are. And you have faith in God. You believe in God. You just don't know who you are. You don't have any sense that you're his son, that you're his daughter. In the midst of, of your insecurity, God is with you. The Lord came for you, his presence on earth and now in your heart. Facing on circumstances that are uncertain or that are scary. Things going on in in, in your work, things going on in the community, health issues, whatever unstable, uncertain, whatever circumstances that are producing fear in you, know that in the midst of that, God is with you. Emmanuel, He came. A sign. A sign that's real, that makes a difference in our lives. See, through faith in God, through faith in the, the Son that was born to us, We can find stability, we can find hope, we can find peace and joy. Not some Christmas feeling, not some Christmas spirit, but actual historical events. A Savior that was born, that came, that died. The Holy Spirit of God that fills your heart. To us, a child is born, amen? And so now the full presence of God can fill you. Now there's Emmanuel in you. And so put your faith in Him. Put your life in Him. The worship team's going to come and we're going to praise the great name of Jesus. Why don't you stand with me and pray as we prepare our hearts, as we sing, as we cry out to Him again. Father in heaven, we thank you for your scriptures. We thank you that in the midst of the, of the history and the foreign names and places that there are real people with real struggles and we are one of them. And we confess that that we at times feel unstable and surrounded. We at times feel uncertain. And God, we confess that we need faith. Would you gift us and grow in us the gift of faith that we could stand firm? Because apart from our hope in you and our trust in you, nothing will be stable. Nothing will be certain. Because we're not good enough, strong enough, obedient, obedient enough, wise enough to live this life on our own and say we need you, Lord. And we thank you that because you knew we needed you, you came. You didn't just send an angel. You didn't just send a prophet. You didn't just write a sign in the sky or leave a book on the ground. 
The Son of God came for us. God with us. Living amongst us. Now living in us. By your Holy Spirit. Now speaking directly to us through your Holy Scriptures. And so we lift up and praise the name of Jesus because it's the only name under heaven that brings us life. The only name on earth that brings us freedom and forgiveness. The only name that has ever been known that can bring us stability and hope. So come be with us, Emmanuel. Come fill this room, Emmanuel. Be present in our hearts, Emmanuel. Be present in this season of Advent as we anticipate the birth of Jesus. Come Holy Spirit and be worshipped. Be honored. Fill our hearts.